We'll give it a couple seconds to let YouTube catch up. Because I, I like to keep an eye on the, the actual YouTube right. stream as it goes out. There we go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Workflow Wednesday. This week, we are joined by Ed Tang, uh, the technical director of Bell & Whistle Co. Um, and so Bell & Whistle, actually, I'll let you um, um, a little little background, who you are, what you do, and what Bell & Whistle does in general, and what you do for them. Totally. I'm Ed, So I'm Ed Tang. I'm here in Seattle, Washington. I work for a design firm called Bell & Whistle. We are located also in Seattle in the Georgetown neighborhood, although I'm currently from my house because of COVID. And, uh, you know, we're all working remotely uh, most of the time, going on site as needed to work on hardware and, and testing and coordination and whatnot. Um, what's your next question? Who am I? What, oh, we what, what, what you do for, and, well, what Bell and Whistle does overall and then what you do for yeah. them. Yeah, so we are a design firm. We are we were primarily known for museum exhibits, and we you know I still love working on museum projects. That's um, kind of like my aspirational goal when I uh, pursued a career and um, joined Bell Whistle. Uh, so we uh, we work a lot of museum exhibits, and we've also do, done a lot of large experiential kind of media projects, um, in, not including video walls um, and. Uh, sculptural kind of media installations, uh, interesting web experiences, and even doing graphics for a performance venue. Oh, cool. Uh, so if you are in the Seattle area, you might have seen our work. Um, we did the big kind of Skypad video wall at Space Needle, um, which is on the observation deck, which was an awesome project for us. And Space Needle was an amazing collaborator. And that's also a project we did with you guys, at mm -hmm. Future System, right? Um, yep. And uh, that kind of project, Doing that project kind of launched us into this kind of world of like large media video walls. Like you see that project on every, all the Pinterest boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of media experiences. Uh, we've done work for the University of Washington. Did a big, cool, kind of artful yet content-rich video wall project for the new computer science building. Also with you guys. Uh, <laughs> we did uh, the uh, interactive, crazy interactive graphic system for Seattle Symphony's third performance venue inside Benaroy Hall. It's called mm -hmm. Octave 9. Um, if you had an opportunity to go see that space and kind of, it's a, like a small intimate performance venue. Um, it's gorgeous. We've done some work for an Umquam Bank, uh, Flying Heritage Collection, uh, Paul Allen's Airplane Museum up in Everett. Um, yeah, um, we, you know, we're, we do stuff. We are a small group. Um, of designers, you know, mm -hmm. technologists and project managers and content strategists. So, yeah. Is it all local stuff? All... No, we've done stuff elsewhere as well. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of one of the first like big studio projects we did was all the in digital interactive for the Harley, David Muse Harley Davidson Museum. Oh, neat. Which was awesome. And I've been out there a couple of times to do kind of computer updates and content updates as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of the first project that comes to mind. We did a big animal adoption facility down in Los Angeles, the Wallace Annenberg headspace. Wow. So, oh, cool. like, big, it's basically like if the Apple Store met a functional animal shelter. <laughs> That's cool. Insane. So, yeah. Right on. So, um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean, we touched on this before the stream, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm curious. So, I guess we'll just pick, pick an example. Um, we'll say that if, if you're allowed to talk about, um, 
I guess the process, right? Um, I, maybe we won't pick on any any particular client that you worked with. I don't know how secretive they may be, but like, so say, uh, here, here's a good example. Say Puget wanted right. to do a big crazy thing. Um, how would that start? Right. I guess. Right. Like, what's the and then. Yeah, so we, uh, I feel like uh, one of the kind of strengths of Bell and Whistle on what we do is that we have a very kind of cool and very defined process, a very collaborative process with our clients. Um, so if we, if you came to us one day and be like, hey, we wanted something to do something really big and cool, right? Like, you know, we would sit down and talk about what is it you want to do, right? And okay. talk about intended audience and mm. talk about like, you know, the kind of this, where is it going to go? And, you know, what do you want to, kind of those basic kind of questions that all end up in, kind of living, kind of breathing documents that we're all kind of continuously sharing and iterating on. And on. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of, obviously there's money, like how much do you have to spend on this darn thing? Who are your kind of partners that you're going to be working with to kind of install and, and do this? And who is going to be looking at this every day? Mm -hmm. and who's going to be maintaining it, right? So, um, and you know, especially when we're working with both larger and smaller institutions, actually, like, you know, it, it's really important to me and us as a company that whenever we install something that's like super rich, digital and complicated looking or complicated, actually, that it's up and running every day. Right. Oh, sure. It's worse than like a touchscreen or something in a museum that says out of order. Right. Right. So, you know, it's kind of aligning with those kind of institutional kind of guidelines or structures, you know, it's that's kind of like a big part of my job. It's kind of that kind of risk assessment and. Kind of the boring, mm -hmm. but yeah. So <laughs> anyway, then we move into kind of like that, um, kind of this parallel track where it's working through almost at like a wireframe level, or we call them okay. Screen, right. So it's like we're kind of like creating and crafting that user experience, mm -hmm. you know, given what we know about the visitors and accessibility requirements and the content, and we're working on that. We're also then also on a parallel track working on the design. What is the thing going to look like? Colors, <laughs> shapes, typography, content. Right? Yeah. working on those parallel tracks and you know in the in the in the ideal world right those get married at the end of right. that work but at this point and where we are continuously iterating we're continually prototyping we're sharing all this with the client so there's no surprises you know mm -hmm. at times we will build out complete prototypes of interactive experiences at the wireframe level right so we are now um testing from a development standpoint is this going to work mm -hmm. right without worrying necessarily about those little fine visual details like typography. Now, when you say development, is there like custom software involved? So we are primarily custom software at Bell and Whistle, right? Well, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's off the shelf tools of increasing increasing extent nowadays that allow people to kind of create their own touchscreen experiences or mm -hmm. experiences on a video wall really quickly, and that is awesome. Uh, we are primarily custom though. Uh, sure. at Bell. So back in the day, when I first started, kind of in the world of like multimedia development and whatnot, we all use Flash, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's in the news, right? Because we killed it. It's dead. It's dead. You know, everyone still uses animate to animate cartoons. But the um, so we had this whole generation of kind of Flash developers, like building out touch screens, video walls. Like behind the scenes, we did this twenty foot wall. For Space Needle, that was done in Adobe Air, an action script. That's wow. flat, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> flash. And kind of the, and I totally get as like a web tool why it had to die, why it had mm -hmm. to go, right? 
But sure. you know, kind of watching that kind of it was like because the workflow from a designer to Flash was so easy. It's all Adobe, right? Like you yeah, can it literally really nice. this entire set of design elements from Adobe Illustrator, I'll tab over to Flash, it paste, place things and start wiring things up. I mean, oversimplified, but you know. And I plus action script through was an awesome language. Like it was, it was JavaScript done correctly in many ways, right? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you goof, but that's that is the truth of it. Like honestly. <laughs> so uh, back to the thing. So custom software development, right? So you know, watching kind of the trajectory of our of kind of the software development side of Bell and Whistle, you know, it's very much about these action action script three, like you know, kind of Flash developers moving up, and then we dabbled a bit in. The, the kind of the C++ network uh, kind of frameworks, the um, open frameworks, I think it was one called that one, and Cinder was another okay. one. Okay. Programming kind of platforms that were kind of hot for a while. Um, and then, but there was, it was, it was painful, right? Cause like, let's make a button and make it touchable on a touch screen. You know, like how much scaffolding, how much code do you have to write to get that up and running as opposed to Design it in Illustrator, copy it over into Flash Aware. Whatever. So, right. <laughs> kind of trajectory. And then, you know, but now the web tech, you know, uh, web technology is so uh, strong. No, no .js, right? Uh, just like mm -hmm. this magical world of software development libraries. All I do is basically, if you have a problem in Node, you can Google it. So, it probably wrote a library for it. And if you can use it per the license, boom, you know? Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> you write all these, uh, create all these custom experiences ranging from, you know, video wall content to sculptural art piece, to Seattle Symphony music visualizer, all in JavaScript. Wow. All within the browser. It's fantastic. Well, that's right? interesting. So yeah. it, it's so, it, not to oversimplify, but it's it's kind of web development in a way. Right, like right. fancy and, web pages almost. And it's fantastic because then you can just work on it on your computer. <laughs> right? So there, in terms of this world, this kind of creative tech, Kind of display world. There's that approach nowadays, where we're all kind of pushing the boundaries of JavaScript, the boundaries of the browser, right? The canvas that we have to work with. Well, the canvas element, but that we have to work in as well. And then there's another track of creative technologists doing amazing work in tools like Touch Designer. I don't know mm -hmm. if you guys work with anyway. So Touch Designer is a, this incredible tool that more kind of creative technology using to kind of create both interactive experiences, kind of passive experiences, music visualizers, kind of concert venue things. So mm -hmm. in a way, it's interesting to see that how that's kind of changed over time in a way from Flash. Yeah. In my case, actually, my first programming language was Director. I don't know if you okay. remember. Shockwave uh, Director. Oh, okay. That's a little <laughs> before my time. <laughs> you ever get those, when you when you go to Sam Gooding, you buy a CD, and it uh -huh. said CD, and it said you could uh, put it in your computer and something would happen. Like, oh, you know, you get a little thing and you get a picture of the artist. Anyway, that was all done yeah. in, like, Rector. It was this kind of other offering for that tool that Macromedia had made us more on the CD-ROM side as opposed to Flash okay. Web, right? And then the sure. whole thing, like, died this ugly death. But that was the kind of training tool that you know, non-programmer, non-computer science people like me had when we were first began to, like, experiment with interactivity. Sure. What so you, you, oh, um... <laughs> that's a good question no that was, uh, that's good um i suppose it, it was part of like the process and the, the right. oh yes, yeah, i had, had asked about yeah. custom software yeah and then we kind of use kind of traditional nomenclature where it's like we you know we, we have quality assurance 
mm-hmm. like any other kind of software project. Um, so straight up quality assurance at times we do, you know, really intensive load testing, kind of automated load testing if needed oh, sure. experience. Um, because when you're, te- when you're testing at home or you're programming at home with a mouse, it's very different than a touchscreen, right? And we have our oh, touchscreen everywhere deployed for the developers, but someone's going like this and stuff like that. You can't really, or like this, right? Mm-hmm. You can't simulate that with a mouse, right? So, uh, we, you know, we have automated tools to kind of test that and stuff because, there are several approaches to keep your kind of interactive experiences running, right? You can either run them and then have a little like daemon daemon in your system that keeps the uh, checks if the application is running and if not relaunch it. Oh, sure. Uh, kind of like watchdog programs, or you do it like us and you just test the hell out of it so it never crashes. <laughs> and I think that is the better approach. Stability is better than resetting. Because right. more problem, in my opinion, more problems can come up if you're resetting all the time. Nowadays, right with Windows 10, but yeah, so the quality assurance, and then you know, we 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 literally call our final product the Gold Master, just like we used to back in the CD-ROM days, right? Yeah. And and we and it's deployed to the client, and when it comes to kind of larger and where the trajectory of bell and whistle is going, like larger media installations, larger kind of more complicated projects, there's the audiovisual aspect of it too, right? Ooh. So. If you guys feature systems are building a big video wall, right? Mm-hmm. Like with a with touch panels and whatever, right? There's kind of that component. So throughout the whole process is this collaborative process with the architect or whoever's designing how this will fit into the space. Mm-hmm. Electricians, right? Low voltage, low voltage wiring people. How you know where is the rack going to be located for all the gear, sure. right? You know, working with Wilson. And kind of like, how do we get a computer that fits into this rack with the video card that I want, right? All these things, and the networking and stuff like that. And you'll be surprised at how many surprises occur in real projects. Like, yeah. we had uh, instances where, you know, okay, our video wall is going to be installed. Installer shows up, there's no power. <laughs> Oops. There's no conduit, right? Or they're drilling, you know, through a wall, and there's pipes there that weren't on the drawings, right? You know, it, it happens, right? They construct the so there's a construction element to it as well that we're that we're part of the process of as well. Mm-hmm. So and then when you know when it's time to install and get the things up and running, you know, um, I very much or and our other members of our technical team are very much end up kind of being the content owners, right? Because we know how the content should look, yeah. we know how it should act, so we will represent it as you know the audiovisual side gets kind of resolved and um finished hopefully things are good to go yeah i'm i'm curious how so you've mentioned video walls quite a lot and and um i i have a very limited understanding you know multiple outputs from a graphics card or whatnot and then i know that it's you're you're able to kind of sync many together but like how how does that work i guess uh, <laughs> there's a black box in between usually there's a box between our machine right and the wall right okay. so they're, they're they're called like video processors or controllers or whatever right and and they've gotten super nice over the years which is really handy in terms of the interface that are used to kind of talk to them you know we've we've looked at led products and wall products where it, it, it literally looks like it was written in chinese because it was written by a chinese developer right but sure. uh Nowadays, you know, increasingly there are like web-based kind of solutions and you can literally take output A and map it to screen B and whatnot and uh, through kind of like a virtual switching environment, which is awesome. Yeah, so that kind of once it leaves the PC and kind of enters that world, you know, I lean 
heavily on our friends in the audiovisual industry, you know, to kind of, you know, like we kind of constantly verifying requirements and diagrams, like this is how I want it to show. Sure. How do I help you guys get there? You know? And then there's the nightmare about video cabling and whatnot. And maybe you yeah. know this. Why do like NVIDIA cards, like a really nice video card, you get display port out, those little clippy display. And then audiovisual industry, it's all HDMI. Uh, I don't know, honestly, because because DisplayPort is uh, an open standard. You don't license DisplayPort. Um, HDMI, you have to pay. You have to license HDMI to use it. I think at some, I think, and I've asked this question myself, I think what happened was HDMI came out first. And uh, hardware manufacturers, in particular television manufacturers, um, they had no other choice. So they produced a bunch of product that only had HDMI and then DisplayPort comes out and well, it's too late. We have a million things already using it. So we have to continue to support it um, because I'm, I'm pretty sure no matter how you slice it, DisplayPort is the better standard. You get better refresh rates, you get better resolutions, higher throughput. Um, but it's a continual struggle and pain of trying to bridge a 4k like 60 hertz display pour out to uh, to get 4K 60 hertz back in on the HDMI side. You mean you can't just use an adapter like from Amazon? Yeah, well, I order a bunch of them and then I return them when they don't work, right? So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. So then, they, yeah. So there's that kind of final component of the kind of the install and mm -hmm. kind of getting the project up, and you know, there's, there's and then along the way there's content management, for example, like we often build out or utilize existing content management systems because we want to empower our, our clients, you know, when, when, when it's possible to kind of use what we've created as a canvas or as like a receptacle for new content and something that can be continually updated and fresh and awesome, you know, so we kind of increase the value of what we work on or work on increasing the value of what we're working on for the client. Sure. Sure. Um, I'm curious what stands out as the, how do I phrase this? Um, so a technical challenge that was the most, like rewarding to to solve. Good question. <laughs> I'll just throw out technical challenges that we have solved, and we we'll just sure. kind of think about from there, right? Um, here, I'm going to send you a link, okay. right? So just to give context to our friends, uh, the project we did for the Seattle Symphony, right? Um, Can I chat or how do you chat? Oh, you won't be able to, or there, there's a private chat. Yeah. I'm going to send you a link, right? So this is the kind of the Octave 9 project that we did, you know? Um, it was a continual set of challenges, which was a lot of kind of fun to be part of the process and working on, right? So we were, uh, the space is at Benaroya Hall. It's, it's at street level and it used to be something called Soundbridge, which was used as kind of an educational venue um for like kids workshops and kind of teaching about classical music and instruments right yeah. square room with a really low ceiling and the idea is to kind of create this kind of um this experimental performance space right where mm -hmm. it would be a, a place for experimenting for to kind of question and create new forms of performance right sure and uh right, the, kind of the first challenge which is like how do we how do we create an immersive experience like outside of the realm of like putting on, strapping on individual VR, AR goggles, and how do you create something that's shared, right? So yeah. 
were involved really early on in the process with our friends at LMN, the architects, LMN architects, who, who were the architects for Benaroya Hall and that particular space. Like, how do we create something immersive, right? So yeah. all sorts of kind of hardware and kind of design research went into that um, to like, do we just like coat the square room, you know, with kind of interesting LED tiles or projection, or can we can we wrap them in something, you know, and working through the logistics of how you create a curved screen, you know, that you yeah. can like part and panelize and whatever. And it was really fun to be part of that process with the architects who are obviously the ones who actually know how buildings work. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were given this canvas, right? We were given this canvas, right? We were working with uh, Jackie Holden, who is uh, like the audiovisual for super high-end concert halls. So we know they're the experts. We know they know what we're doing, right? So I was like, cool. we were given this canvas, we're given this resolution which is 10K. 10K? 10K. One, two, three, four. Ten. Oh, anyway, it's super. Yeah. Yes. Each projector is a 1080 projector. And oh, okay. Ten projector. So we were getting this canvas. So how do we render that canvas using the kind of our existing technical talent? <laughs> sure. Like that's super mega ultra wide. And how do we manage that and, and kind of map it in a way that's seen for us to use? Mm -hmm. Right, develop on you know, given kind of the we're not going to get to actually hook everything up to the projectors until kind of close to the end of the project process, sure. right? Um, you know, with, with more with smaller scale projects, we're able to do that. You know, we're able to actually get the gear, order it early, order our computers, order our projectors, and actually mock it up. We have a kind of fairly large prototyping space. Oh, neat! Some of the shots of that are in kind of the promo videos I've done with you guys, and mm -hmm. you know, when you guys visited. Um, and, um, so we're able, we got large projection surface. We actually have installed parts of a video wall and with, you know, touch technology and stuff. So we're able to, like, we really want to like test and prototype as quickly as we can on the actual gear to verify that everything works. There's no surprises. On we can do that for Octave 9. Like okay. we can't do like a 10 projectors, <laughs> you know, and, and like a curved screen. So how do we handle all that mapping and stuff and, and, and do it kind of within kind of the constraints of like, we don't have a 20 person development team working in OpenGL. Right. Create, how do we pull this off, right? And, you know, we were able to pull this whole, the whole thing's WebGL. Ooh. The whole thing is WebGL. Like running on a super awesome computer that you guys made, but it's all running on WebGL. And we were able to map, you know, we mapped all of the individual display canvases. We chopped them up and so that we could send them all to the video processor in two, four, it's less than two, four, you know, I don't remember the resolution anymore. Anyway, oh. we were up all these kind of squares that the projectors are up and put them into a regular aspect ratio canvas to send to the video processor to display wow. on this. Right? So this was one machine is running one that machine. whole thing. Wow. Running within basically an electron wrapper. That's neat. It was crazy. And we're able to get 60 frames per second. We're able to like pull this off. Like, you know, like I never thought of myself as a graphics engine programmer right i'm a music major you know like i don't know what i'm doing here right you know we're working sure. with a really talented developer his name's zach zach archer we've been working with for many many years um on interactive projects and stuff and he was always he, genius and anyway so pulling all this together um a lot of fun and then showing up on site and getting all those kind of little details kind of worked out and doing it really calmly like say if the resolution changed <laughs> you know and stuff like that and, and, kind of, and, and from the final mapping and then it just bloody works yeah so nice. Octus was one display PC that's hooked up to everything mm -hmm. kind of doing that entire canvas at the touch of an iPad they can actually deactivate individual component 
parts of the screen and the gamut kind of resizes because it's all panelized, all the um, projection surfaces, curved projections can actually be slid on a track on the wall and hidden away. So they oh. can the room to kind of different configurations. So we kind of designed those configurations, hooked it up to a control system. And then there's two smaller echoes in the back that okay. are doing real time video kind of motion capture. So there's hmm. real sense cameras, four of them, two per PC. And uh, so, so the canvas can actually respond to people dancing or moving in the space as long mm. as, as well as audio. I know it's awesome. And I hope when Benaroy Hall reopens again to the public and stuff, you know, I'm really excited. We're all really excited for the future of this space. Right? Oh, for sure. So, two kind of uh, things all, that was all like C-sharp code, I think, Intel RealSense cameras, like, and then continually streaming kind of motion data to the machine. That's so cool. Well, um, actually, we have a question from Twitch. Davidius asks, I wonder if you could make a complete seamless ring of monitors slash screens. Seam so, yeah, we're getting more and more seamless. Seamless is becoming more and more achievable nowadays, right? So even when, uh, even just a few years ago when we designed Octave 9, right? Um, we, and there, there were, you know, there were interesting challenges in making the projection surface seamless itself, right? I remember there was this awesome high-end custom paint dude who, were, who was doing the, the surface of the thing, the finish of these panels. So it'd be as oh. seamless as possible when they were assembled. Um, and then projectors, right? You have to do like some projector mapping and kind of blending and edge blending in order to like mm -hmm. make kind of projectors look continuous. Nowadays, there's LED, right? Direct view LED is what it's called, right? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that being, you know, we first, our first big project with that was at Amazon, Amazon Ooh. Sphere. And we had a big, it was 18 panel wide, 10 panel curved screen. I'll, I'll send you the link to that right now. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of like our first introduction to direct view LED and, uh, and curved as well. And it installed correctly, it's seamless. So, I mean, we're now, and I'm sure you're totally aware of this, we're now in the world where digital backdrops made of that technology are being used for, in TV production. Right. Yeah. Vir yeah. And, all uh, that virtual production stuff is blowing my mind. No, totally. So you could absolutely create curved or ring shaped kind of continuous canvases nowadays. Well, actually, before I before I make a comment, I have to make sure that I'm not talking about something that is secret. Let me look up something real fast. <laughs> uh, okay, it is it is publicized. So the hollow dome. Uh, which I think was a Paul Allen project. Oh, um, yes. So that I think is a, is something Davidius you might want to look into. That I think is the closest we've come to a real holodeck. It's like a bubble that I think it uses like high res projectors, projectors. to you're like transported to someplace else. It's 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 insane. That is super cool. That the um, a couple of our team members visited Mopop because we're because you know, uh, we work on Mopop. And we're friends with the people who work there. I know a couple of our team members got to visit uh, Holodome kind of when they the like, kind of last time it was called at Mopop. Um, I know they were working on it in Georgetown because hmm. there was a, there would be a sign occasionally on the airport way going Mopop exhibit test with an arrow. We find out later it was the Holodome team. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so that was... and and there's still and uh, one of the projects which I can't talk about now in in the space there there is basically like a very much a holodome kind of experience. There's mm -hmm. high end projector companies coming in to kind of finish the final mapping, and I know it's like sides of the dome as well as the floor um, to be projected on. So yeah. 
and yeah, so you can do now. Plus, it's also formatted LED, right? You know, mm -hmm. to, uh, uh, so you could potentially do the whole thing in direct view LED now too. There's limitations, right? Like direct view mm -hmm. LED is expensive and hot. Oh, right? sure, yeah, hot, right? And making sure that you know the your your LED product is properly ventilated, you know, because if you don't take care of it, it's gonna peel apart. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and and but then projector projection has its own issues too right because you can block the projector with your body right you mm -hmm. know like different angles and whatnot and kind of how how people have dealt with that i mean projection is a whole world that i'm not like super expert on but yes so anyway back to the question yes <laughs> there are definitely yeah. kind of um cool ways that people are creating curved and unconventional display surfaces yeah we have another question from youtube yeah. works works for me asks how do you navigate with all the egos of clients architects engineers and other designers uh and maybe you can share your most challenging project without naming names of course because we wouldn't want to <laughs> man that guy george no. <laughs> i know that's a fantastic question how do we navigate all the egos of clients? The client's the client, man. That's what we're working for. Um, it's a really small industry. It's a really, and you know, we got the internet now, whatever, and LinkedIn and everything, but the audiovisual side, the exhibit design side, the museum side, it's a really small industry. We all know each other. Sure. But, and, you know, I, I, I make it a personal point to be the best collaborator I can be with our partners, you know, even yeah. if at the next project, we're going to be bidding against each other, you know, on a project, you know, if we're working next to each other on a project, we got to get along. We're ultimately all in the same, we're all in the same war, we're all in the same yeah. situation together, you know? So, um, and we all have big egos as well, you know, <laughs> Just sure. kind of the best you can and, and, and like kind of listen the best you can, you know? You find there, there's a, a bit of a mutual respect regardless of competition. Right. Yeah. And no, absolutely. Um, the kind of the, a lot of our industry is built on the back of freelancers as well. Sure. And so technical freelancers, small agencies that work gets, you know, kind of sub sub vendored out to. And so we're all kind of also kind of all working with each other and, you know, all the time on different projects. So, um, you know, that's a, but that's a fantastic question. Most challenging project um every i mean every project has challenges octane was challenging just because it was this ridiculous kind of unconventional awesome canvas and it's a performance venue right mm -hmm. so performance means it's got to work at a certain time every time right and you know the, the sale symphony is the sale symphony so they obviously have this classically trained ethos of practice mm -hmm. right, <laughs> right 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 so and uh that so that was incredibly challenging from that regard um we did the website for Cinerama. I know this is totally random, but we did the project. We did the web website we designed for Cinerama, which was the, the movie theater, right, in downtown Seattle. And I, I don't remember which Star Wars it was. That was a Star Wars. The episode two, three? I don't know. Okay. Anyway, yeah. and that, tickets went on sale for that, man. You, can, you can't hold back people who want to buy Star Wars tickets. That was all long nights of emails and kind of like oh, I, bet. <laughs> I remember that one this particular child that was fun though and you know center i i love the movie theater right so and they were and our friends of vulcan were awesome to work with um oh, vulcan 
with the uh, I think I think uh, it sounds familiar. I don't know. I, I can't recall exactly why. Right. Um, anyway, so yeah, that that was telling itself. That was challenging itself. Um, Amazon was challenging. Um, really, uh, understory. The, the mm. kind of thing actually just sent out right. So um, that was challenging because it was a really unconventional space. You know, it was kind of this, it was awesome in the sense that it was a blank canvas when we started working on it, but it was really low ceiling, all these crazy structural things to deal with. Um, the kind of the challenge from Amazon was like, this has to be a multi-purpose room, yet it's also got to be this immersive exhibit. So how do you design and then subsequently engineer a public facing, free the public, rock solid museum exhibit that's extremely got all this extremely expensive gear <laughs> yeah. and and whatnot and and try to make all that work and in a really really short timeline so yeah that's neat i'm just kind of looking through the the <laughs> pictures of the understory thing and right. um i haven't actually been into the amazon spears thing yet i've i've walked around that that area a bunch of times totally. but right um wow that's 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 so cool. So cool. Uh, and, uh, the architect, Graham Baba, did this amazing job of like encapsulating all the kind of AV and because uh, there's two completely separate AV systems in the space and uh, ventilation, HVAC and stuff, and kind of hiding it kind of beautifully artfully and stuff. But then we have to find our stuff. So the columns. So you see like I think 11 mm-hmm. or some columns that are kind of flanked and kind of surrounding this immersive experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they house all these delicate LED kind of displays in them. Those all had to be movable, right? So they had to be, they're bolted to the ground. We had to, we got to make sure all the wiring works and whatnot under the, you know, the conduit in the, under the ground, miles and miles of conduit. <laughs> in that concrete block, right. But then you got to be able to unplug them. Um, Dylan works, a fabricator up in Muckleteo. Awesome. Mm-hmm. They do like just crazy stuff. Um, they, they, you, they design like the lift for them. Like you unbolt them, you lift, you kind of tilt them a very certain way that doesn't damage the gear and they can get through the double doors in the back if that thing ever has been installed. You know, the, wow. LED, the LED panels are rear, only rear um, accessible in terms of service, mm-hmm. but you have to back them, right? So that front curb screen actually swings out on a hinge. Wow. So the engineers at Whitlock, now ABISBL, like they had to figure out how to like run all the cabling and the wiring along so that, you know, nothing gets pulled when you pull this darn thing out on the hand. Right. Oh, yeah. wow. See, it's, it's stuff like it's stuff like that we don't I think the general public just doesn't realize like the 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 complexity that goes right. into these kind of things. That's right. crazy. Because now it's more ubiquitous, right? We just see LED displays everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's awesome, right? But the amount of engineering and kind of install and support and everything that goes in that, as well as the content on those darn things, right? You know, that, that, that you know, part of that has to be invisible. It better be yeah. invisible. In the yeah. Sense that it's not, the problems are, you know, in front of your face. <laughs> but, yeah. it's, it's almost, it's almost like a magic show in a way. Like you don't, you don't want to know the secret of, of the entertainment. You just are there to like be wowed mm-hmm. and, but but sometimes it is super interesting to know how the trick is done, right? And so that's super cool. Uh, Gabe Keen says we love you, Ed, and your Edness. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. Principal of Bell Whistle. Oh. So we also have another question from YouTube. Michael Combs asks, "Where are the needs being driven from? Are clients looking for these designs?" Uh, and then also is is it clear? Or, yeah. 
some of our most rewarding work uh, and some of my favorite collaborations I have with architects. Mm. Um, just from like a brutally honest business standpoint, you know, if sometimes when we're working with an architect and we're right at that point in the project where we're working with the architect, there's still money left over. You know, you know, sometimes we'll get calls and we'll be like, hey, we want, we have this big video while we have content and we have no money. Uh, so yeah, so no, but but uh, architects. Are, I love being around architects. I wish I was smart enough and not majored in music and studied architecture sometimes. But uh, because like they're smart, right? You know, <laughs> and but but then watching them, watching how they break down a problem and solve it is an incredible reward. So no, I love working with architects. Um, and oftentimes, the like, architect is the client. You know, is oh. how we entered the project. So in in some of our kind of larger more rewarding work that we've done over the last few years has been through actually architects and stuff so they 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 and so they as well as whoever is kind of the content person or kind of driving the experience of the space you know they end up they're 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 their combination of needs are driving the project as well as the kind of creative vision that we have also are kind of creating and crafting and presenting to the client okay hopefully that answers that so yeah so that's that kind of like with a traditional museum exhibit you know um some museums have extensive curatorial content subject matter experts already on staff right so we are collaborating with them directly and their kind of overall exhibit design kind of vision of the space you know um with some museums you know it, we create the content mm -hmm. you know we do all the content creation research um and wow. You know, like with Amazon, we you know we created the content. We went up to the um, I think Woodenville, the greenhouses in Woodenville, shot on mm -hmm. the beautiful slow mo 4K footage of the plants, um, and we did our shoot in the Amazon spheres for kind of the beauty shots of kind of our envision or help envision the nature of work in the spheres. Right? We did we do the photo shoot, the video shoots ourselves. You know, wow. so yeah. So we we it, yeah, in terms of content design, you know, it just kind of depends actually on the client. You know, and what they already have in store and what they have in mind. Yeah, well, that's cool. It's not it's not just the technical aspect. You guys are in the into content creation as well. That's that's pretty cool. I think you kind of touched on that a little bit, but to to kind of have that right in the face is yeah. is cool. project, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, oh, um, oh, sorry. Uh. Let's see. Actually, I have a question, but I think it ties to a question we have from YouTube. Tommy Hackett asks, Ed, uh, was there a most rewarding project for you as a creative endeavor? Is there a parallel with your background in music? So, yeah, I mean, Symphony was a deeply personal project in many ways. I'm a violinist. I grew up playing violin in the area. I know my brother had done like workshops with the Symphony as a young composer growing up. Um, so, and my violin teacher, my last, my violin teacher is assistant principal second of the symphony. So that, that was kind of personal in that way because it was kind of like this connection to music. Um, even though music is very much divorced from my professional life, it's, I just play violin now. Um, so that, that was incredibly rewarding. Um, that's interesting, like kind of the most, yeah, and the creative endeavor. As a project goes, um, I remember launching Why War, so the the large exhibit we did for the Flying Heritage Collection. Mm -hmm. um, the, the anecdote about the twenty. I'll tell, tell the story, right? So the we had this exhibit for Why War is this incredibly technologically rich museum exhibit, and I believe it was the first complete museum exhibit I worked on at Bell and Whistle with. You know, because I, I know Bell and Whistle had done complete exhibits, you know, before my time, and 
and getting that thing to launch. So it's like huge video wall, touch uh, touchscreen stations that kind of tell the story of war, contextualize the story of war, right? Because Fly Heritage Collection is this beautiful curated and maintained selection of warplanes. Like functionally, they can fly, like maintained with original parts and tooling. Like it's wow. a historical, historical kind of thing. And um, and you know this exhibit it was the first exhibit museum exhibit in America that thinks about war. Kind of like why does it happen through the lens of the the major conflicts that the United States has fought. Um, well, anyway, so that was incredibly rewarding, just professionally. So, like, 20 PCs, like, driving all this content everywhere, just beautifully designed exhibit, so much fun to work on. And I, so when we hooked up all the PCs, you know, we didn't have all the internet and networking kind of, like, worked out yet uh, with Vulcan and the museum. And when the internet was turned on, all 20 PCs tried to Windows update all at once. Um, and Windows 10... Windows 10. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> Windows 10 has improved my workflow in many ways, actually, in terms of like deploying kind of museum exhibits. And I'll, I'll get to, I think that's actually an interesting conversation that we might have time for. But um, they all tried to Windows update all at once. Mm -hmm. and, of and that crashed the network. And of course, some of them breaked. So that wasn't fun. But anyway, that was kind of incredibly professionally running because we, we had pulled off something so big and so awesome and also incredibly educational and content rich you know at the openings i had educators come up to me and just you know like which is impressive kind of the depth of kind of content and this whole kind of experience that we created anyway uh oh sorry i, I got a little distracted by something else <laughs> i apologize um and so ellen ellen king rice asks mm -hmm. what topic or project would you really like to do in the future that's fantastic question i love museums i came into this industry i guess one and even like wanting even before when i was working on my masters um i wanted to work in museum exhibits you know i wanted to work in the museums right and so i still love that work you know being able to like that kind of if it's a storytelling thing or if it's kind of presenting kind of complex content and kind of digestible ways, you know, that meet the visitor where they want to be met. Mm -hmm. um, I think that kind of work is still ultimately what I find personally most inspiring. Um, if I were probably younger, I'd love to do more performance-based work, like musical performance, live performance or whatever. Um, uh, that, that, that would be a lot of fun. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, telling, telling good stories, telling kind of the history of things and stuff like that, exposing that, preserving yeah. them. Kind of presenting presenting things digitally, you know, in accessible ways. Yeah. That, that's what I find interesting. Yeah, I like that kind of thing too. Um, just as a quick aside, there was um, we did a case study with a group that I can't recall the name of right now, but they um, it was a big photogrammetry project. There had been a it was like a graffiti space, um, and they were tearing it down, but they wanted to save this space for others to be able to experience. And so they took like 10,000 photos of all of everything and the, the shapes and this and back and forth. And they were able to create a like virtual reality space oh, to, um, to explore because they built apartments or something on it. Right. And that kind of thing is really cool because there's some, there's some spots that nobody's ever going to be able to see again or, or experience walk around. And it's really cool to be able to, to to save that that kind of thing right um 
SF MoMA. Uh, so it was a client of ours, but in particular, their kind of digital initiatives over the last few years to kind of, you know, so you know, these large art museums have amazing kind of content management, data asset management kind of system set up, you know, to maintain their catalogs of art, right? right? And the increasing amount of like kind of public APIs and ways that that can be accessed by anyone nowadays is so awesome. And the projects that we've done with museums at Art Institute of Chicago at Getty as a MoMA at the Frick, like was actually coming up with creative ways of exposing that database to the world, you know, yeah. by, by like touchscreen or video wall or whatever. Um, and I, that work is also, yeah, extremely rewarding, right? Because we're, you know, museums only have so much um, space, wall space, they right. have so more stuff, artifacts and whatnot than they can afford to present at any given time. So more exposure to that, it's fantastic. Yeah, um, man, I have a, I have a few other questions. Um, you you had mentioned Windows Ten had improved your workflow. I'm curious in in what way, like how has that changed how you do things? Yeah, so my approach and well, Bell and Whistle's approach when we kind of deploy things in the world is try to be as off the shelf as possible and grow to the hardware, right? I mean, custom you know custom PCs from you guys, but like PCs, right? I mean, knows running you know running not running like i know like our uh, our friends and competitors in the space like they're deploying custom linux servers media servers no, no, no. we want to make this maintainable for the boots on the ground and the it and the, the it guys who have to make this thing work and they're usually running windows right so yeah. windows 10 right so in some ways it's made it easier for me because i know i can lock it down um Honestly, we just crash Windows Explorer. That's all we do. It's something I have to do nowadays. Windows. <laughs> you know, we had to do like crazy registry hacks and stuff with like earlier versions of Windows to like kind of suppress certain behaviors, like especially hooked up to a touchscreen. We don't want like a weird dining cursor following your finger. We don't want Windows update. You don't want certain notifications to pop up. I just sit there and kind of unclick notifications. And you wow. know, now yeah, nowadays in Windows 10, that's made it easier. But in some ways, we've lost so much control with updates, with forced updates. Mm -hmm. uh, which can be kind of painful from a maintenance side because, you know, I, I log in and then I just see that blue screen like, hey, welcome, we have ginger windows. What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, come on. Right? If, um, so. it, if you set the uh, internet to metered if no. in, the, in the network settings, if you if you tell it that you have a metered connection, it, okay. won't, it won't automatically update. Okay. I'm doing that right now on my... <laughs> so, yeah, so there, there's kind of that element... Um, yeah, so it, it, in that regard is that. But I try to stick with, like, kind of standard kind of computer things, you know, yeah. when we do interesting things. It makes, it makes it easier for everyone to maintain. But thanks for that. Uh -huh. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, like, you, can, you, can you can also tell it to, like, uh, I can't remember, defer updates, but that's only for, like, a few months. Oh, totally. um, but, yeah. Uh, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on um, augmented reality? And how it applies to like museums and, and these interactive spaces. Yes. Super cool. You know, Gabe actually sent me a link uh, that, that it's it's working now on mobile web, which I thought was, which is again, super, super cool. Right. Um, and then, um, I mean, I'd been kind of tooling around with it back in the Adobe era days as well. Sure. And, uh, we have a collaborator with our studio who's done kind of augmented reality, like live performances and whatnot. So, Super cool tech. Does it exist for the customer anymore? Augmented reality. So, like, I know, like, Hololens went all military enterprise. Right. Um, um, 
I've the way I've seen it so far has been mostly like through the viewport of your cell phone. Totally. Um, right. I, I don't I don't think we're yeah. quite to the point where it's glasses yet. I think Apple is working on that. Right. I mean, and bring your own device is really good, right? Mm -hmm. Especially now with with COVID and like people don't necessarily want to be touching things. Um, there's a really interesting work being done to kind of leverage bring your own device to control or touch grades or augmented things. Well, anyway, so back to your question about augmented reality. Um, super cool. We've definitely conceptualized that in the past. Um, you know, like kind of the marriage of augmented reality with kind of geolocation and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced that's as performative yet. Mm. Yeah, it needs to be to kind of create like a kick-ass visitor experience. Um, I I love to work on experiences that are more shared and kind of larger scale. Mm -hmm. you know, um, as opposed to everyone looking at the phone, because we're all looking at our phone all day anyway. So let's not do that. Sure. But uh, um, but I love the idea of it you know, for sure, right? Especially in the context of a museum exhibit. Like you know, you you we've seen the demos both on the corporate side and the museum side, where you know they have an object. Right, that's kind of map properly mapping. Hold your phone to it, and heads-up display kind of thing appears. Right, where you're learning kind of interesting, rich information about the thing, and then also then the object can kind of stand by itself, kind of beautifully without you know signs and stuff around it. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the idea of it, and I know there are companies and kind of services that are doing that for clients mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah. When you say when you say you look, you want it to be more performative. What do you mean? Frame rate. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, the, the actual performance of the, of the yeah, device. Like, you know, um, kind of the aesthetic of it and kind of the overall kind of user experience of it, you know, like it's got to be really nice. Right? Yeah. Because you know, there is an ask of the user to pull out their phone, maybe download the app or go to, even just go to a URL, you know, mm -hmm. or scan a QR code. There's a couple asks and barriers to making it work and it up and running, right? Yeah. Um, that they, you have to kind of reward them in the end. Right. With that. And that, 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 that that's an overall issue with kind of technology and friction when it in experiences, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Increasing that. So. Yeah. You've mentioned a few times that you have a background in music. Um, how did you get involved with, with <laughs> Ellen Whistle? I was a, yeah, so I, I studied music. It was called music technology. It was a bachelor's in music degree. I wanted to be an audio engineer when I grew up back then, right? You know, and then I had the great luck of graduating with an audio engineering kind of background in 2001 in New York City. So obviously, entertainment industry wasn't there for me. So then I went to, I got my master's at the Interactive Telecommunications Program in NYU, right? So um, kind of a cool digital media, digital art, and how do you make the world a better place department, you know? Cool. Um, and so that's kind of how I learned kind of like basics of visual design. I can't design my way out of a bag now. Um, uh, programming, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like interest in programming at that point, you know, through director. And then I took some computer science classes and uh, overall kind of user experience and stuff. I started doing like interactive art exhibits with friends. We kind of started doing shows together in New York City. And then um, I went back here to Seattle and started my PhD at UW at the digital arts department, which was brand new back then. Was, a was the worst doctoral student in the history of mankind, dropped out, and then just entered industry as a software developer because I had director skills. And there were still CD-ROM companies in Seattle at that point doing mm -hmm. CD-ROMs for education. So I worked for a music, uh, music uh, like learned how to play guitar company, and then a startup doing uh, educational software for autism. Mm. Um, but then director died. I was able to shift my skills at that time at that company to Flash, to ActionScript, and more better programming. And I just started freelancing for design studios, 
right? Okay. So I started working freelancing through staffing agencies and direct to just marketing and design studios and kind of seeing that role of a technologist. <laughs> so awesome. You know, it wasn't just straight up software development at that point. It was kind of collaborating with these interdisciplinary teams of designers and UX people and kind of thinkers and kind of creating awesome demos and then actually ended up doing large keynote presentations, what you see behind the speaker for Cisco, I think. Yeah, Cisco. So I did a couple of Cisco lives. And, um, yeah, and then I you know, saw the job posting and ended up on a whistle. So. so, and we we touched on this before the stream as well, but like say there's somebody new is interested. Right. Um, what would you say is the best background to to increase their success of getting into this sort of work? Totally, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be in museums or other kind of, uh, kind of or the symphony or whatever, right? Kind of demonstrating that you've done something that someone's paid you to do, <laughs> that you've created the kind of value. If you want to be like a front-end engineer, for this kind of work, right? Like you've, you've, you've demonstrated that you've taken a client's vision and gotten paid to do it. You know, like that's kind of like where we kind of stand. Though we actually had the great pleasure of working with my friend Alex, uh, who was a recent graduate of UW's mm -hmm. uh, science, right? So we weren't actually sure how that was going to work because we'd previously worked with, you know, a largely a generation of self-taught developers, you know, who basically trained on Flash and right. early HTML, right? And knew how to like, because of Flash knew how to animate in tween and do things code in code, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of create interactive experience, interactive experiences that way, as opposed to building all that scaffolding and do it in C, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, but the, the, this new generation of computer science grads, you know, a lot of them have web experience now, and they're kind of this incredibly rich kind of and processing. They're using processing, right? You've heard mm -hmm. of processing, that learning, programming, like creative. Language, so they're they're both learning and teaching processing now in the field now. So the, the I, I'm seeing a lot of the computer science grads coming closer in that direction, kind of right off the bat, which is fantastic, you know. So um, doing kind of cool interactive stuff on the web, you know, is is much more democratic now, much more accessible. Oh yeah. So you know, pay eight hundred dollars for a license for Flash. So um, kind of demonstrating that as well, and then just kind of endless curiosity and not being afraid, like. You know, oftentimes I'm juggling like four or five different programming languages a week. I'm having to wow. switch between ActionScript and then PHP. And some dude sends me some Python to run. And I don't know what Python is. And they're just learning all that stuff on the fly, not being afraid of it and not being like, I am a C-sharp developer. That's all I do, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, and, and, and kind of seeing how kind of those base level programming kind of fundamentals kind of apply to everything, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. With Flash being dead, um... What do you guys, is it still, so it's not really like dead, dead, but I no, mean, I guess, are you yeah. guys going to have to use something else? To yeah, so it's largely a way to no Node.js Electron, right? So mm. being able to uh, deploy things via Electron with a frozen, kind of like a frozen wrapper, which is useful. Mm -hmm. so browser updates won't kill our code. Um, uh, we've used a whole bunch of various, React, right? So a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that you hear about in traditional web development, so React, We've done test screens with Vue.js as well. Hmm. Um, and then a lot of WebGL, right? So that's some kind of the exciting kind of stuff that we did for the Symphony in particular, right? But for mm -hmm. other projects as well, Lost Cities, which is an interactive kind of web documentary that we won a Webby for last year, um, was done with like layers of WebGL and traditional kind of React HTML rendering on top. Um, okay. So, 
yeah, so it, JavaScript. A lot of crazy yeah. JavaScript and kind of Node.js and frantic Googling is how we pull up. <laughs> I feel like that's a lot of software development, actually. <laughs> All right. That's and a lot of PHP still, actually, uh, for content management and stuff like that. Mostly PHP as well as some .NET, some ASP.NET, kind of more traditional, oh, sure. kind of database-driven kind of. Um, so when we have to whip up our own APIs and content management clients. It's it's kind of blown my mind, like that a lot of these experiences are, I guess, kind of fancy web pages, you know, in a way. Like I know that's some kind of reductionist, but oh, like, no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and, that's, and it well, it's it's the the, the tech is moving, and the tech is moving so fast. You know, it, it's it, in order to like quickly build up, build out like interfaces, in order to like create incredibly performative, like graphics engine code in straight mm -hmm. up. It's incredible. Like it's yeah. a really awesome frontier, and and then you see the efforts of like with TypeScript or whatever to like turn micro, turn JavaScript into a proper language, you know, like yeah. But yeah, so it's it's incredibly rewarding and fun. Like I'm, you know, we were. I'd love to move more of back end to Node.js as well, right? Hmm. So we're you know moving, um, just for like just totally rapid you know development. And I know a lot of our friends are also using Python. A lot of Python really Big. cool. I mean, done in Python as well. And then there's a whole kind of visual programming, touch, design, touch designer world, um, which is occurring as well. And all that stuff is kind of equally worthy of kind of consideration. You know. Yeah. So this kind of touches a little on um, kind of the question that Ellen had asked earlier. But um, I'm curious, what looking forward mm -hmm. as far as like the technology and, and things like that, what are you most excited about? I'm really excited to be working outside of flat video wall. You know, so video walls, it will always be there and I love working on them, but uh, to be working on like less conventional canvases, we've, we've been kind of pushing towards that and um, with the kind of cool LED and stuff, uh, LED tells and kind of, you can build modular screens, you know, kind of super Ooh. easily nowadays, right? And someday when we're not under NDA, I'll show you a project, right? So um, being able to do that kind of work um, with, you know, and like without having to deal with like projectors and projector mapping and stuff like that, just like straight up interesting sculptural work. Um, I, I would really, that's what I'm looking forward to in the future mm -hmm. is kind of less conventional canvases. Um, I would love to do more, yeah, just more artful stuff or mm -hmm. kind of environmental stuff, you know, kind of like mood setting stuff, you know. Mm. Um, there, I, I like working on really heavy content driven, interesting, heavy interactive applications as mm. well. But being able to like kind of work on the more kind of ambient environmental stuff would be super cool. That's what I would love to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. I, I see I see where there's there could be a, a kind of a cross um because uh, hang on let me get my thoughts straight here. Uh with the Octave Nine yeah. Um, project you you had mentioned that they're the real sense cameras to change how things interact while someone is dancing i could see as things progress that you could potentially um like map a costume onto somebody like they're oh. they're basically just wearing a white jumpsuit right but, and then, but you've got fast projectors and stuff that are following them and their oh. outfit changes right or um or just that that kind of level of interactivity, I, I could mm -hmm. see being, or or just like a, it could be just a, a 
white cube on a pedestal, but then they project something different onto it. And like from your perspective, it's it looks some like something else completely or something. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of work is always exciting. And I mean, we've been and we are on the cusp of kind of breaking through towards that kind of work, which is fantastic as well. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, um, it, the future is always cool. I love I love talking with 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 guys like you, um, especially in the in the creative spaces, because uh, I'm I'm a technologist, I suppose. You know, I, I'm very my creativity lies along more like logical routes, I suppose. I'm, I have a bit of a software development background myself, um, and so I'm I'm endlessly fascinated at the art artistry and the creativity of of art in in general, because like. I can't do that. <laughs> and, and what are you talking about? <laughs> it's amazing. Well, not well. I can't do that well. I suppose you know anybody can draw. Are 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 going away? You know, like oh, you know, you don't only you no longer need eight hundred dollars for a copy of Flash. You could actually right. download designer for free or work mm -hmm. on Node for free, right? Like if you have a functional computer, you can start getting yeah. code. You can start pulling down the WebGL libraries and render something to the screen. Whereas back in the day. You needed like a copy of Visual C and that big red OpenGL book even to get started, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's becoming a lot more accessible. Processing and then processing, right? Like mm -hmm. they're teaching kids in elementary school how to drop into the screen and code. And you're learning, they're learning the fundamentals of like a display loop and an initial and like that init function. And I mean, and like this is fantastic. I you know, like you know, that, that computational media, like digital media is so. It, it's accessible, you know, so, and interactivity is anyway. So. No, I, I love it. I think, I think lowering that barrier to entry yeah. to creative pursuits, um, regardless of whether it's like, like videos or photographs or paintings or right. everything is so easier to get into. Right. Um, we're, I, we're, I feel like maybe I'm missing it or we're just right on the cusp of, of a huge explosion of, of independent creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. And oh, just gives me kind of no, totally. thinking about it. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. for the future of of creative pursuits. And if that increases kind of the kind of the diversity of like life experiences and views and people who are entering the industry and creating this work, I think that's yeah. an ultimately fantastic outcome. So I love it. It's so cool. Right on. Well, actually, that brings us to just a little yeah. over our hour. Um, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, mention, shout out, anybody, anything? Uh, we bell and whistle. <laughs> our website is bwco.info. Um, uh, I'll put my, you know, you can put my email in the chat. Anyone okay. can email me anytime um, about stuff. You know? Awesome. Chat about well, that's, stuff. that's very generous. Yeah. I'll put that in there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, all right then. Well, I guess we'll say, uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much, Ed, for taking time out of your day to join us on, on our workflow Wednesday. This was really cool. This was great. It's been fantastic working with you guys to plug for Puget Systems. It's been fantastic oh. <laughs> you guys over many years. It's been fantastic. You guys have been incredibly generous and kind. I don't know how you guys put up with me. Um, and it's been really hard to work. So this has been fantastic. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you as well to the audience for joining us on our workflow Wednesday. Um, we do this every Wednesday and Friday. Uh, Wednesdays, we bring industry experts like Ed on to the show to talk about their process, their workflow, technical challenges, and to give you guys an opportunity to ask questions as well. Uh, and then on Fridays, we bring a member of our labs team and soon to be consulting and support uh to try to provide a little peek behind our curtain how software and, and hardware work together and to again uh, get questions for you guys so uh mark your calendars right wednesdays fridays 1 p.m pacific and um yeah we'll see you next time thank you thank you guys soon.